This is 680-CJOB. Hi! Welcome to the final podcast of November for the CJOB Sports Show. On this episode, Leah Hextall stops by to talk about concussions in the NHL and Connor Hellebuck as well. John Chidley Hill of the Canadian Press has been following the story this week of a number of former Sarnia Sting players, including Daniel Carcillo, talking about hazing and what has changed over the years. Plus, the Power Parlay, Philly Joe from Power Mornings, as well as myself, give you our betting picks. We'll try to be successful this week. That's all on the podcast. Friday means Leah Hextall stops by to talk hockey. After last night's 6-5 win over Chicago, a lot of talk about goaltending, but let's start with concussions, Leah. Dustin Bufflin, he's on IR because, well, he has a concussion. Even though he was put back into the game Tuesday in which he suffered it against Pittsburgh, and a lot of people are wondering, what's going on? So can we explain the concussion protocol in the NHL? What happened here? Well, you know, Christian, and that's such a good point right there is that I think a lot of us discuss it, but we don't really understand what the NHL has done to help support their players when it comes to concussions. First and foremost, I'm not a doctor, nor are you. And we can only speak to concussions in a certain way because we're not educated. But even those who are neuropsychologists can only speak to concussions to a certain way, because when they say that concussions have gray areas, they really do. I've never been concussed, but if you speak to any player that's been concussed and it's medical research, is that what happens is that a lot of times symptoms do not show up until hours or even sometimes days after that point of impact, which causes the concussion. So what happened was in 2016, the NHL updated its concussion protocol. And what it did in 2016 for the 2016-17 season, it was the first year in which, along with in-arena spotters, they added additional support in the Central League spotters. Those are trained athletic therapists that also have elite hockey experience and they reside in the player safety room in New York City so when you saw Bufflin the other night be removed it may have been an in arena spotter or it may have been one of the central spotters and I have a feeling it may have been one of the central spotters in New York City now they authorize players to be removed and once they're removed teams cannot argue about this it's straightforward they have to go back for evaluation and players can't return unless the club's medical staff has cleared them and has gone through the protocol and just so you know what the protocol is a lot of people talk about baseline testing prior to training camp every single player goes through a baseline testing where they're asked certain questions and they give responses and that's the standard in which when they go back for evaluation that they're evaluated from but something that's really interesting here is that the nhl along with the NFL, MLS, and the United States Army. They all use an app, and this is to help evaluate things in a more efficient manner and a more quicker manner. And that's why you see players being able to return so quickly to the ice. So it's called the X2 app. It originated in Seattle, and it's really quite an interesting thing because what it looks at, it's a head impact management system. It's run on an iPad. It's baseline testing, and it returns the player to the game if they pass it. So 
SCAT is Sport Concussion Assessment Tool. That's been around for years and years and years. And that's the things that, you know, where you go by memory assessment, asking players what happened, what venue are we playing in, to see where their mental state is, the examination of the eyes, the verbal, the motor, their responses. And then from all of that, they make an assessment. Well, the X2 app, allows the NHL to do it much quicker. It's very efficient. And if the player passes all of those tests, he's cleared to go back onto the ice. Now, as I mentioned, concussions are a fickle thing. There is a gray area. You can feel fine in the moment, and then you don't feel fine the next day. That happens a lot. As Paul Maurice said last night, you can also be misdiagnosed with a concussion, and then, you know, the player doesn't return. What if that's a playoff game? So when people say, well, they should just be removed instantly, well, there's a business on hand. But at the end of the day, Christian, I think what people really have to understand is this is on the player. If the player feels that they shouldn't go back out, even if they don't know that they're not concussed, even if they pass the protocol, they can easily say to the club medical staff, I don't think I should go back out. I know most athletes are never going to do that because they're so competitive. But the fact is, is that the players are educated in training camp. They see all the videos. They are given pamphlets. They have information sessions like you wouldn't believe. They know all of the information now. It's not like back in the day when players were saying, well, I didn't know. Now they know. So at the end of the day, the league is doing every single thing it can. The protocol is designed by neuropsychologists, two of the best in North America. So it's really up to the player now to take care of their health. And we heard Andrew Kopp talking about that today in the dressing room when he was talking about treating your body the right way when you're healing from a concussion, that this was his third concussion, and now he thinks about it more. And it's really on the players now. So we can debate it all you want, but if Dustin Bufflin wanted to come back to that game and he passed the protocol that's in place and cleared by doctors, he's going to come back to that game. And that's the tough thing because second hit syndrome, if you go out and you have a concussion, you get hit again, you can die. We've seen that happen before, but that's the thing about concussions. Maybe he felt fine, and then two hours later, all of a sudden, he doesn't feel good. But let's move on to Connor Hellebuck now because there was some talk before last night's game about, well, it's not going so well with Connor Hellebuck. Then he gives up five goals and a win. Is there a concern right now with how he's playing, or is this just a speed bump? <laughs> you know, I think the concern is this. Everybody knows that last year he had a Vesna caliber type season. He could have easily won the Vesna and he was so close. I don't know about you, Christian, but I'm trying to think of a goaltender that's come off of that kind of season and been able to duplicate it. I talk about this a lot with goaltenders. It is a very hard position to have that kind of level of consistency. I'm also going to say that I don't think he has the same team playing in front of him. As he did. I mean, last night, look at the defense. There were a few players missing from the lineup. Not that Morrissey and Truba didn't do an excellent job. Their numbers increased exponentially last night. But there's missing pieces to this. This whole team as a whole is not playing as good as they did last year. I mean, you have to look at that. Their goals against right now, they've had 26 goals against them in one, two, three, four, five, six, six games. In their last six games, they've given up, you know, over three per game. That's not just on your goaltender. And while Hellebuck hasn't been quite as sharp, the team really has to get pucks behind them, that kind of mindset. They need to play more in their end. And while that might sound obvious to everybody, if they, you know, they have to make sure that they're not doing those cute little passes, as many crossing passes as you do, eventually those are going to get picked off and they are getting picked off against them. We've seen the turnovers happen to the Winnipeg Jets. They have to get back to playing hard hockey, straight hockey, 
play in their own end well and generate their offense from their defense. And I think if they get back to that as a collective unit, they will be just fine. I, I do not blame this on Connor Hallibuck. I know that there's been a few soft goals, but you cannot blame all of it on your goaltender because I think he's been pretty strong, but you can't expect him to have the same season that he had last year because it never happens. Do you think the smaller equipment is bothering him? I do. He has actually spoke about it and he has, you know, a lot of goaltenders have, and I'm going to say this, the equipment, it's been a hard adjustment. Think about it. Think of how many years you've had repetition and learned your angles and learned how to move with that equipment. And then boom, you have different equipment now. And that creates more of a gap on these goaltenders. They've all spoke about it. And if you really look at it, the numbers are different for a lot of teams right now. So, I mean, I don't know. Last year they were fifth in goals against. This year they're 17th right now. So we'll see what happens. But I definitely think that the equipment has played into this and it's going to take a little bit of time to adapt. Looking at their December schedule, definitely a chance for them to make some hay. We'll check in with you again on Monday. Leah, have a great weekend. You as well. Leah Axtell, our hockey correspondent here on 680 CJOB and the CJOB Sports Show. Brought to you the story earlier this week of Daniel Carcillo, former NHLer, tough guy, and his history with hazing with the Sarnia Sting of the OHL back in the early 2000s. And this came up, it was a Twitter thread, after the news from a private school in Toronto where young boys were charged with assault as a result of a hazing incident. And now more people coming forward with similar stories from the Sarnia Sting. And following this story for the Canadian press has been John Chidley Hill, who joins me now from Toronto. John, when you saw those Dan Carcillo tweets, what what did that start off? Well, it really shed some light on an issue that people have in news media have been wondering about for a while. And that is the hazing culture that used to exist uh, in hockey Obviously, uh, there is the alleged sexual assault at St. Michael's College School here in Toronto, uh, and those allegations came out a couple of weeks ago. So we were curious about what was going on, but of course, with no one coming forward, it's hard to get people to open up. Um, But then with Dan's tweets, he really opened sort of a door into the world of um, elite athletes and what the culture can be like. And uh, so I reached out to Dan and uh, had some conversations with him. And this is something where Dan Carcillo has been no stranger to sharing things online, whether it's stories about coaches, stories about his concussions, about people he's lost. And this has also led to a number of other people opening up too. Yes, that's right. Um, it was a real dominoes effect where um, – the day that his, the article that I wrote where I had interviewed him came out, uh, some of his teammates reached out to him. And then in turn, he directed them to me, uh, specifically Dave Pachesek and Charles Amodio uh, reached out to me. And um, they confirmed everything that Dan had told me and had been saying online. They were witness to it as well. They experienced it as well. And uh, it really got the ball rolling. So what do we know now about this, this hazing culture that was around? It's, you know, these stories are from 14 years ago, but how much of that has changed now? Um, a lot has changed, and I'm glad you asked. Um, when Dan and, uh, Dan and Dave were rookies the same season, 2002-2003, on the OHL Sarnia Sting, 
Um, and about midway through the year, after one particularly graphic incident, that was honestly, it was so bad that I couldn't include it in my story because it was so graphic. Um, Dan decided to reach out to David Branch, who is both the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League and the Canadian Hockey League. And um, the OHL started cracking down. And in the wake of all these allegations this week, the OHL has restated its zero tolerance policy toward hazing, toward abuse. And um, they've really cracked down and they've taken steps um, basically in the day-to-day life of these major junior hockey players to just eradicate this kind of abusive behavior. And this kind of behavior is something that can have a, a lifelong impact on somebody that at the time is, you know, a 16, 17-year-old super impressionable. Absolutely. You know, I can tell you um, when I was speaking with Charles Amodeo about his experiences, he's the same age as uh, Dan and Dave, but he opted to spend another year in high school before reporting to the Sarnia Sting. He was in their same draft class, though. So he was a rookie uh, in their second year, although they're all the same age. And he's still angry and he's still upset. And, uh, you know, he said that he wants nothing to do with hockey. He's still a fan. He still watches the Maple Leafs. But he has no interest in being a coach and participating in any way. Um, He told me that if he were to have children, he would not enroll them in hockey. Uh, And it's something that still bothers and upsets him. And... Uh, Dan Carcillo is still very angry um, with the ringleader of his tormentors, of the bullies. Um, He did tell me that this week a lot of the other veteran players who had, uh, you know, put him and the 11 other rookies on that Sting team through just this horrible treatment. uh, Dan did tell me that a few of them have reached out to him to apologize um, but it's certainly, yeah, it's it's stuck with all of them and really changed who they are. Do they feel like the people in charge, the coaches in charge, and the league itself did enough? Um, they feel like the league did enough, and they feel like their general manager did enough. Um, they're not very happy with the coaching staff. Uh, they Dan Carcillo tweeted along those lines uh, just yesterday that he still has a lot of anger and resentment towards members of the coaching staff because uh, he feels that they could have done more, but he has nothing but praise for David branch, the OHL's commissioner, who as soon as he learned from Dan about what was going on, stepped in and asked the Sarnia thing, like what's going on. And he also uh, in a series of tweets yesterday praised the Sting's general manager at that time for his, uh, what he did to remedy the, the, cult, the toxic culture in the Sting locker room at that point. So this is, you know, 15 years later to some degree, but something that has been brought up by the St. Mike's incident. And are we hopefully done with hearing from not just uh, old incidents, but these newer incidents, or is hazing still an issue in some spots and younger hockey use? junior hockey or at these private schools? Well, I mean, I, I'll speak for the OHL. The OHL 
again, in the wake of what was going on with the Sarnia Sting in 2002, 2003, and also the Windsor Spitfires in 2005, they really cracked down, um, and they do have that zero-tolerance policy I was referring to. But, um, and, you know, they continue to work with that, uh, work on it and, and, you know, create awareness, and they have um, mental health initiatives and all sorts of policies and uh, clinics in place to ensure things like that don't happen. And I can tell you, I spoke with um, an assistant coach for an OHL team today, and he told me that things have really changed. Um, but, I mean, I can't speak for all the private schools and, and other sports teams. I just know that the OHL, I don't think they're – they don't have a hazing issue now, um, and I don't think that they will – it'll come back up again. I think uh, a lot of progress has been made, not just in the OHL, but sort of in culture in general. You know, the way we talk about mental health, and the way we uh, talk about gender and sexuality has evolved so much in the past 15 years that, you know, you have a 16 or 17 or 18-year-old hockey player. They're way more socially aware than people were in the early 2000s, late 1990s. So, you know, just the whole culture outside of hockey has also shifted. Well, knock on wood, we're on the right track. Uh, John Chidley Hill, Canadian Press, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me today. My pleasure. Friday tradition. We have not been successful very often. I will admit this. I was crunching the numbers earlier today. Power parlay. The idea of a parlay is to get three things right. And uh, we have yet to do that. We have yet to all three be right in the same week. So... You can take or leave our betting recommendations. However, here we go. So last week, we all picked two games. We picked the Grey Cup, and we picked an NFL game as well. I was the only one that had Calgary. I was kind of being a contrarian, but it turned out well for me. Not a good not a good game, really. No, not very exciting. Ottawa cost me. Ottawa cost me on the power parlay. And I also had a pro-line ticket where if Ottawa had a one, like it was a four-game ticket, three of the games I got right, Ottawa wins, I cash a $1,500 ticket. Ooh, that's right. And the New York Giants cost me last week in an upset. It was weird. The NFL was weird last week, too, because they had some upsets. Mm-hmm. There was a few of them. Denver at home beating Pittsburgh. The one thing I thought, and Phil, you and I talked about this most of the week, even if you weren't invested in the two teams in the Grey Cup, the last few had been very good to watch. Oh, yeah. Not this one. No. This one uh, was not good the to watch. The field was very slippery, and the quality of play was, I think, dramatically affected by that on both sides. Yeah, that's yeah. sad. At the pro level, that yeah. that kind of field would still come into play. But yeah. I keep saying it. We, we Calgary did the same thing to the Bomber offense. Like, it wasn't like the Calgary-Winnipeg game was that great either because no, it's the, true. the Bombers couldn't move the ball against that Stamps defense. Stamps' D, which just won them the Great Cup. That's they're really just, what it was. They're a ridiculously good defense. And that putt return yep. touchdown was the game-breaker. Yep. yep. So we all picked NFL games, too. I went to the Minnesota game yes. against Green Bay. Oh, wow. And they won. They covered the three-point spread. I heard they're flying you out to New England. <laughs> yeah, whoa. I thought we're a team here. The power parlay. We don't go to games together. What's up, Christian? I, I, I'm sorry if you, I, if you guys could have paid your way. I mean, we could have gone hey, together. Next time. Next but time. You had, Philly, The you finally got the Dolphins right. <laughs> you kept picking the Dolphins to cover big numbers, and they almost beat the Colts, but at least they yeah. covered the number. 
And then, Joe, you picked the Steelers, and they lost a real heartbreaker to yeah, Denver. Ben Roethlisberger did. with a, just an awful interception. Oh, he does that once in a while. Yeah, but very rare, like mm-hmm. right in the end zone. But, yeah, well, hey, that's the National Football League this year. Even the Cowboys have turned it around. Yeah, beating yeah. the Saints last night. All right, so this week we're looking for some rebounding. Okay. Billy, 1-1 one one last week. What do you got? I have a rule that I don't follow enough, but it's never bet on your, your favorite team. Right. But, but I still wind up doing it once in a while. The 49ers. We're having a horrible season. It can't, it can't end fast enough. They're my team. They're, they're playing in Seattle, and they're nine-and-a-half-point underdogs, which is, which is appropriate. Four years ago, that's a marquee game. Oh, yeah. Yes. But even back when they were good under Harbaugh, they could not win in Seattle, and lots of times they got blown out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take Seattle to cover that nine-and-a-half oh, because I think San Francisco has closed up shop for the season. They're thinking wow. about the draft. There's no way they're they They're on make... their third-string quarterback. Right. Again, I'll... I, Exactly, and if they lose by 10 or 11, that would be almost a victory for them. Like, they we kept I it close. I never thought I'd hear the day. Have you I watched mean, them lately? Seattle's having a, a good run right now, but, yeah. man, you're just you're throwing dirt on your team. Here. Yeah. yeah, unheard of. <laughs> oh, man. Joe? Uh, you're going to hate me for this, Christian, but uh, oh, no. your team, the Vikes, are playing New England. Yes, they are. The afternoon game. I'm very afraid. Could have very well have been the flex game. Yeah, because. Charter, but- you know what? That would have been three straight Sunday nights for Minnesota. No, that, that's true. I don't true. think NBC that's true. wants to do that. The Pats are five-point favorites. I think they cover. I think they win by a touchdown. Hey, you're not hurting my feelings. I yeah. do not have any real belief that Minnesota's going to win this game at in, at New England in December. The yeah, one thing. That's, I just thought it would be more than a field goal or two. The one thing that I'll say is the one thing, Brady, if you can rush the passer, on yeah, New England with true. with your without blitzing, which yes. Minnesota has some pass rushers, you can create some problems for that New England offense. So we'll see. That's true. They couldn't touch Drew Brees when they played a few weeks ago, but hoping, I'm hoping because they yourself, need this. Yes. They need to win because they got a tough schedule here. Yeah. They got New England and Seattle. Coming I hope up. I'm wrong for all the Vikings fans out there. And we do have a lot of them. And let me guess, Christian, you've got uh, uh, Fresno State to cover 44 and a half at <laughs> home to of, Baylor. Actually, this is there's not a lot of college <laughs> games this weekend because it's the championship weekend, but we're gonna have some weird bowls we can bet on later in December. I'm actually staying in the NFL Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. They are three and a half point favorites in Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers aren't very good. I know they crushed San Francisco last week. <laughs> Thanks. But <laughs> overall, they're a team that every other week their quarterback throws four interceptions. Carolina, they're six and five. They've lost three in a row, and that's why this number is so low. But they are better by more than that yeah. against Tampa Bay. Now. And they need this yeah. win Badly, okay. So they're going to go into Tampa Bay. Cam Newton's going to have a good game. And even if they win by just seven, that covers this one. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Let's hope these cash out, boys. Yeah. We need some winners. We do some to get tough back, weeks here. Back on the winning track yes. here. Thank you very much, guys. That's a one pro poker. That's what one po pro. Oh, my gosh. One pro poker player. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts yet. This is 680 CJOB.